So let us hear then God's word, Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, and he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home, like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we begin here today, um, we often hear uh, the reference to Paul's teaching about praying without ceasing. And uh, we encourage each other to do that. We may ask the question, how can we do that? Are we on our knees 24-7? You know, these kind of things. Um, but it's a life of, of prayer. Well, the same can be said here about praising. We could say that we ought to praise without ceasing. And this psalm, among others, encourages us to do that. Now, how do we do it? Do we sit here in church all the time and sing and pray and so forth? How can we praise without ceasing? Well, uh, in some ways, this psalm will give us some direction. Uh, we progress now, of course, to the next psalm here. And uh, we've been in Book 5 here most recently, starting with Psalm 107. And uh, this has been uh, focusing, of course, on their return from exile. Now, the Psalms, of course, begin with David and his coronation there in Psalm 2. Um, but we see a focus on his struggles, but also his establishment and his victories. But halfway through the Psalter, we see this hard turn, and Israel is sent into exile and are judged by God. But while there, he instructs them in the essentials of the faith. And now here in book five, as we see that they are restored to the promised land, we see a reiteration of the promises of God. Exile didn't change the, God, the promises of God. We see that the, the Messiah is still going to come. We see a reminder, like we did in Psalm 111, that God does not change. And we see a reminder that we should fear the Lord. Those requirements have not changed either. And so as we're looking at this, this uh, final fifth of the Psalms, there's such an emphasis on worship. And so we've seen that a number of times. Here it is again in this psalm. Now, our, our subsection that we're in right now are Psalms 111 to 117, the Hallelujah Psalms. And the term Hallelujah is used seven times in these seven psalms and twice in this one, as we see. So the arrangement here is, as Dr. Robertson calls it, a kind of pyramid. There's a central psalm, and in this case it's Psalm 114, and then there are three psalms on each side of it. So uh, we're coming to the top, you might say. We've looked at Psalms 111 and 112 using the Hebrew alphabet, and now we come to the last, if you will, ascending psalm to the top. This psalm is very much like Psalm 111, where we focus on God, his character, his ways. Psalm 111 emphasizes his ways and redemption. This one is, you might say, a bit more general in that it focuses on God's being, his existence, 
And then it focuses on his caring presence, as we see in the last few verses. All right, now, if you look at your handout of the psalm and you turn on to the back, um, here in our, our broad view, we see uh, these different outlines. And obviously what jumps out at us right away is how it begins and ends with hallelujah. And we've seen the previous two start with that word, but now we see it begin and end. And then we also see it's pretty straightforward. It is three sections and three verses. And the first two give us different ways of summarizing those verses. But I also call your attention then to the third one. And this outline calls our attention to verse 5. It's right in the middle. And it's the question, who is like Yahweh our God? That is dominating the psalm. And so this outline says, pay attention to that. And notice how we have the same number of verses on each side of the verse, uh, of this central verse. So, again, encourage you to read through the psalm and look at these outlines and, and, uh, and, and seek to understand that more. Now, as for the names of God, this is very much like Psalms 111 and 112. The name Yahweh is the key name. And those two psalms, that's the only name used. Here, we do have the name God, or Elohim, used there in verse 5. But the rest are all referring to Yahweh. All right, so that's similar in that way. Um, we'll return to that here in a moment. Now, on the bottom of this second side, um, I, I try to spell out for you something that is just kind of unusual, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, when, when, we're, when we're dealing with poetry especially, even in English, it's not just what is said, it's how it's said that is important, and it, and it communicates something to us. So in, in the Hebrew poetry, frequently it's the rhyming of ideas. We've seen that over and over again, right? In Psalms 111 and 112, we see this following of the Hebrew alphabet, and so that's how it's presented to us. Well, in this psalm, it's just really strange. There are hardly any verbs. Now, of course, we remember even all the way back in grade school that you can't have a sentence without a verb, right? You need a subject and verb. You have a sentence. Well, how can we have nine verses with hardly any verbs? And why does he do it that way? Okay. So if you turn on the other side of your uh, handout, you'll see beginning in verse 3, in every verse I say there's no main verb here in this. Okay. Sometimes we assume verbs. There are what we call participles and infinitives. If you turn back to the other side, I list those for you in the verses and how to translate and so forth. But why does he do this? What is the point? What is he communicating to us? Well, here's my theory. My theory is he is trying to communicate to us the greatness and existence of God and that verbs, you might say, are insufficient to communicate those ideas. Language fails to communicate how great our God is. Now, God created language, so obviously we can use it. But it's like the psalmist is trying to say this. I can't fully communicate the grand existence of our God. I can't even fully communicate how he cares for us. So I'm just going to use Kind, uh, specific parts of speech to emphasize ongoing activity, something that is, something that exists. And so the participles do that, the to be verbs do that, and so forth. So 
it, it's again, it's one of these things that just kind of strikes you when you're when you're looking at it. This is how he's communicating to us, and I think this is the point. God is above all. It's hard to explain that, but God is with us, and that's a continuous thing. And so he uses different parts of speech to communicate that. All right, now, I know I got a little technical there for just a moment, but, but again, this is something that is here for us to see, and I'm trying to show it to you briefly. And so let's praise him, because there is no other God like this. God exists, but God is with us. God is above everything, and yet we can talk to him like we just did with Stan. No other God does this. Just as a few brief examples, if you were to go to a mosque and, and observe them worshiping Allah, it's a totally different experience. They believe that Allah exists, has always existed, is above everything, but you can't really talk to him. Well, they do their prayers, but it's just a ritual, really. And, and you don't know if God hears you. And you don't know if he's going to answer you. And there's no hope of salvation. It's a very different kind of God. Or maybe go over to the Far East or something and, and you see a, a Buddha shrine or something like that. And you go to and watch people worshiping Buddha. Well, he's not above everything. Right? He's with us, but he's not a person. We call him Buddha and he's this fat little guy and so forth, you know, or big guy, depending how big it is, right? Um, but you can't relate to him. Totally different than the God of the Bible. Okay? So when the psalmist is trying to explain that, it's, a, it's like he's at a loss for words. And he, he's communicating it in a way to ex- accentuate that God exists. And God is always this way. So anyway, just a, a few thoughts here on, on something that is so striking uh, in, in our understanding here. Um, all right, well, let's turn now to the, the other side again, to the psalm itself, and uh, start looking here a little bit at what uh, these first few verses say. And the first thing that we see is, you might say, nothing. <laughs> There's no title. And this is not uncommon in books four and five. Um, and so we don't know who wrote this psalm. But there have been two key guesses over the centuries. And the first one, of course, is David. No surprise there, since David wrote over half the Psalms. Uh, some people assume that when there's no title, we should assume David did it. But other people say, look at verse 9. And verse 9 talks about a barren woman and a joyful mother and so forth. Well, this is very similar to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and Hannah's song. And because of that similarity, some people have suggested that Samuel wrote this psalm. We don't know for sure. But clearly, there's a connection with Hannah. We'll look at this, Lord willing, uh, next week. Now, the first thing we do see, of course, is the term hallelujah. Again, it begins and ends the psalm. It's something we've talked about in the last two psalms, not used very often, more of a formal term like a doxology But simply, it's a command to pray, Uh, excuse me, to praise, to praise Yahweh. All right, now, let's expand on this here a moment. I started 
with the questions at the beginning. How can we praise without ceasing? We are again commanded to praise Yahweh. We're going to see it two more times here in this verse and even into verse 2 and possibly verse 3. So how can we praise without ceasing? Have you thought about that question before? Well, obviously we come here to church, right? We, we sing. We've done that here. Uh, we pray. As Stan led us here a moment ago. Uh, we can do this at home, right? We can sing. We can pray with our families. We can do it individually. And certainly this is something we should do on a regular basis. But of course, we can't do it 24-7. We need to sleep. We need to work. We need to eat and so forth. So how, how does this work? Well, similar to praying without ceasing, it's something we, it's, if you will, just right under the, the conscious level. It's just always there, can immediately be brought to the surface. We can pray to our God at, at any moment. You know, as Laurie mentioned there, slipping and falling and just immediately, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, you're just immediately there in terms of talking with the Lord. Um, same idea with praise. Okay, I don't know what you said, Lori, but maybe you said not just thank you, Lord, but I praise you, Lord, right? You know, Joe said that here a moment ago, didn't hit, it, hit, hit this guy in the bite, you know, praise the Lord. You know, it's that kind of idea. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, it's just, uh, if you will, a split second away from our conscious thought. Add to that the idea of everything we do is to be done in praise of the Lord. So whether we are at work, whether we are at school, whether we're doing things at, around the house, we are to be praising God by how we work, the way we do things. We do things with integrity. We do things by working hard, doing our best. We use the talents that God has given to us. Okay, some of us are good at music. Some of us are good at math. Some of us are good at mechanics. Hey, and fill in the blank. God has gifted us in various ways. Use those. Don't bury them. And as we use them and develop them, this is praising our God. Even more basic, hey, some of us here are men. Well, act like a man. Some of us here are women. Act like a woman. And unfortunately, in our culture, there's a lot of confusion about what that means. And that's affected a lot of Christians, too, professing believers. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Hey, well, I think the Bible is pretty straightforward what it means here. <laughs> men are designed to lead, to initiate. Women are designed to assist us and to help us in that process. Okay? And so as we act like the gender that God made us to be, that praises the Lord. When we start doing something different, then that doesn't praise the Lord. Okay? Parents, we are to train our children in the way they should go. Children, you are to obey the parents. Okay? Do what God made you to do. Now, obviously, not just here at church, but even elsewhere, right? we, we can read the scriptures, we can uh, study them and so forth. Uh, we can tell others about Christ. We can stand against evil. We can take care of the things that God has given to us, not just leave them out in the rain or throw them in the corner. Okay, wash our cars so it doesn't get all rusted out and so forth. Yeah, we take care of the things that God has given. Do you, do you see the point? It really affects everything. 
the way we behave, the way we treat the things God has given and, and, and so forth, this is an act of praise. So, as we've seen earlier in, in book five, I've been challenging us to improve our worship. Well, with this in mind, and as we'll see, especially in verse two, we should be praising without ceasing. And here are a few thoughts how we can do that. All right, well, let's now look at these first three verses in, in more detail. Um, and as you look at them, you'll see right away in verse 1, there are three commands to praise. And then if you look at verse 2, is another one. Let the name of Yahweh be blessed. And then you see verse 3, I'll explain there. Maybe you could take that as another command. And then you have the two from phrases, the one at the end of verse 2 and the, the one at the beginning of verse 3 that expand on this. All right, so here's our basic uh, look at it. So verse 1 then. Do you see we have the exact same command three times? And in Hebrew, it's hallelujah. Right? I thought of the old children's song, right? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Right? And everybody stands up, praise you the Lord, right? So, but... That's what it is, right? To praise. We're commanded to praise three times here in this verse. And three times we are to praise Yahweh in some way or another. The first line, right, <coughs> excuse me, praise Yah. And the second line, praise, O servants of Yahweh. And then praise the name of Yahweh. So we have the, the, the command to praise three times. We have the name Yahweh three times. And then also, as you keep looking, see how Yahweh is used once per verse through verse 5, and then not again till the very end. So it's kind of, if you will, front heavy on God's name. All right, now, uh, the first one, I won't say any more about it because I've just talked about it, but praise Yah. Now, the second one, we're, we're, we move from whom we should praise now to who should praise. Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Well, who are we talking about? Well, in the, in the scriptures, the term servant can be used in a variety of ways. The, can you say maybe the most obvious meaning here is referring to the priests and Levites in the tabernacle and the temple. They are to lead Israel in praise. So if you turn just a moment to Psalm 134, okay, Psalm 134. 34 and in verse 1 again a familiar call to worship I use here behold bless the Lord all you servants of the Lord who by night stand in the house of the Lord lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord so clearly we're talking about the priests and Levites here right look at Psalm 135 verse 1 praise the Lord praise the name of the Lord praise him O you servants of the Lord see how it's identical to Psalm 113 just a little different order, but the same words. And then verse 2, you who stand in the house of the Lord and the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, and so forth. So initially, the idea here is then, in Psalm 113, verse 1, is that the leadership in the church should be praising the Lord. Again, as I said, Stan led us in that here a moment ago. I led us in that earlier with the call to worship, and so on. So this is where we begin. But the term servant is used far more than just the Levites and the priests. 
It is used for some very important godly people in the scriptures. So you think Moses, for example, he's called the servant of the Lord, or Abraham, or David, and others in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Uh, we've just seen in Titus 1, Paul calls himself a servant, a bond servant, a slave of God. But it's not just, if you will, the really big and important people, but all of us are servants. In Sunday school, we looked at the theme verse of Mark briefly this morning. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we then, as sons and daughters of Adam, are called to serve. In Genesis 2, verse 15, where it says, God put Adam in the garden to tend and to keep, the words can be translated to work and to serve. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be serving the Lord, all of us. And so notice then, in terms of service, that means God owns us, right? We belong to him. We work for him. Yes, because he made us, but especially because he saved us. We are his servants. Add to that, the end of this psalm, it's also because he cares for us. Okay? in these daily things, these important everyday needs that we have. And so because of this, then, we willingly obey our heavenly master and Lord. And he's not just our master, he's our husband. We're married to him. He is our father. So in the end, who are the servants of Yahweh? Well, all of us are. All believers are, especially and now that Israel is back from exile, everybody is serving the Lord, and they ought to praise the Lord. All right, now let's look at the third command here in verse 1 then. Praise the name of Yahweh. All right, now notice here, this is the first time the name of Yahweh is used here in the psalm. You see it in verse 2, and then at the end of verse 3. So three times right in a row. So we have three times praise, three times Yahweh, and now three times name of Yahweh. So obviously see the, the creativity here. And one commentator said this emphasis on three is to stir us up. If we were to say praise Yahweh, we're like, okay, yeah, I'm commanded to do this. But when you hear it twice, you're like, wow, this is really important. And when you hear it three times, is to stir us up, this repetition here. And so note what he's doing in this way. So, so what it, then is the difference with the first and the third one? When it says praise Yahweh, the first one, and now praise the name of Yahweh, what's different? What does that mean? Well, God's name okay, obviously refers to Yahweh himself, but we're have a slight different, uh, slightly different focus, you might say. When we're talking about his name, obviously his personal name is Yahweh. That's the most important name that we see in the scriptures. Hey, you may recall, as I've said before, the name is used about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. Now, what makes that impressive is that second place is the name God, Elohim. And that's only about 2,500 times. So, about not quite, three times more Yahweh is used in comparison. And then third place is the name Lord with 
just the capital L, not capital O-R-D. Adonai is the Hebrew name. That's only used about 700 times, so about a tenth in comparison to Yahweh. So this name is incredibly important for us to understand. If we're going to praise the name of Yahweh, we need to understand what the name means. And so as I've said over and over again over the years, it has two key ideas. It means I am, God exists, he is great, he is sovereign, he is above all. Nothing compares to him, nothing rivals him. But it also is communicating presence. God is with us. I will be with you. We see both of those ideas in Exodus chapter 3. And so if we're going to translate Yahweh as Lord, then let's make sure we say covenant Lord. Because he's not just our master, he is in relationship with us by way of covenant. So when we praise the name of Yahweh, that's what we need to have in mind. That he is our master and Lord and sovereign, but he's also the one to whom we can relate and have relationship. Now, another way of us thinking about the name of Yahweh is to simply say, this is, can you say shorthand, to refer to all of God's character, all of his attributes, all of his names. So I just mentioned the name Yahweh and talked about it just a moment. Well, the name Elohim emphasizes something else. The name Adonai emphasizes something else, and so on and so forth. When you add all the figurative names, like the Lord is my shepherd, or I like the one, Yahweh is a bear robbed of her cubs. Hey. Well, that communicates something. Right? He is shepherd. What's that say? What's that communicating? Well, he, he cares for us, right? He, he, he leads us. He guides us. He... he uh, is near to us and so forth. If you say he's a bear robbed of our cub, of her cubs, well, God gets really mad if somebody tries to hurt us. That's encouraging, isn't it? He's on our side. He's going to protect us. And so God's name is saying something, and there are literally hundreds of them when you include all these figurative names. But his name also highlights his attributes. And in Psalm 111, we saw several. God is righteous. He is gracious, compassionate, truthful, faithful, upright, holy, glorious. One commentator put it this way. I thought it was really helpful. Um, When we think of the name of anyone, we think of their reputation. So if I were to list off a few names, you know, what reputation goes with that name? So if I said Bill Clinton, what reputation goes with that? Or Donald Trump, or Ben Roethlisberger, or Tom Brady, or Michael Jordan, or, you know, whatever. Fill in the blank. There's a reputation that goes with the name. So when we are commanded to praise the name of Yahweh, there's a reputation that goes with this name. And the better we understand that reputation, the more likely we're going to praise him for who he is. And so all aspects of God. His character, his names, as well as his ways. We are to praise him. So the question, very simply for us, are you doing this? Are you praising without ceasing? Do you praise Yahweh according to his names and his name, Yahweh? Do you praise him according to his attributes? Do you praise him according to his works?
I think of, of the three, we might emphasize his works most often in our prayers and in our praises. Thank you, Lord, for doing X, Y, Z, right? Sparing us from some catastrophe was, was uh, some of what we heard this morning. Hey, or this time of year, praise the Lord for sending his son. But have you sat down in your prayers and praise and just gone through, you know, even a handful of different names of God and praised him for what those mean? Okay. Command here in the psalm is simply we should do so. And let's improve our worship in this way. Um, at one point in time, I've, I ran across a listing of all the different names of God that are used in the Bible, again, including the figurative names. And um, I started using that in, in my uh, devotion time. And uh, I've done it at different times over the years. I haven't done it recently for a little while. Um, but just take, I would take a different name each day or a few names each day and look at the passages that have the name and, and praise God and thank God and, and so forth. Um, Psalmist is telling us to do something like this. Don't use God's name as a punctuation mark, or certainly not a swear word. Praise Him. All right, well, let's keep going then. Verses 2 and 3 really go together. So, verse 2 let the name of Yahweh be blessed from now and unto forever. And then, verse 3 from the place of the rising of the sun into its setting, the name of Yahweh is being praised. All right. Well, first of all, verse two, notice we actually have another command, but it's different. It's not you need to do this. It's let the name of Yahweh be blessed. It's, it's still a command, though. It's just uh, uh, worded a little differently. And then notice, we, instead of using the word praise again, we're using the word bless. Now, I read from Psalm 134 and 135. Earlier, I read from Psalm 145. These terms are used a lot. Praise and bless here in this context. So what does bless mean? Well, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about God blessing us, then there is a certain meaning, right? If God is blessing us, this is the greater to the lesser, right? He is giving us something that we need. He is blessing us, maybe with food to eat, clothes to wear. He's blessing us with salvation and eternal life and, and so forth, right? But uh, when we're blessing God, that's not the greater to the lesser. That's the lesser to the greater. So how can we give God anything? God doesn't need anything. But he does deserve our praise, does he not? So in the sense of blessing we are giving God something, not something he needs, but something he deserves. The other way around, God gives us something we need, but we don't deserve it. Okay? So it's, it's, it's the opposite here in this way. And so when we are to bless the Lord, we are to give him the praise that he deserves. So it's synonymous with praise, but it's different in this way. Okay? So we're giving him what he deserves. So... Let's bless, let's praise, let's give him the adoration that he deserves, the name of Yahweh. So then you see then this is followed up with these two from phrases, okay? from now and unto forever. 
and then from the place of the rising of the sun to its setting. So the first of them emphasizes time, right? From now unto forever, all the time, always. Yahweh is worthy of our praise and our blessing all the time, right? Praise without ceasing, as I've been saying. Our praise cannot be limited. If we come here for an hour or three hours or even ten hours, it's not enough. If we do at home for 15 minutes or even seven or eight hours, it's not enough. We need to keep praising. He is worthy of it. In all that we do then, all the time, at work or play, at church or home, waking or even sleeping, in this life and the next, we should be praising our God. Now, the second from phrase in verse 3 shifts from time now to location. From the place of the rising of the sun into its setting. This line does not emphasize all the time. That's the previous one. This one emphasizes everywhere. You might say from east to west. Everywhere we go, no matter where we go, no matter where any of us is, we need to praise the Lord. We need to bless the Lord. Okay? So whether we're here at church or we're uh, cleaning out a latrine for the military, you know, wherever we are, we should be praising our God. All right, now the last line here, verse 3, I've translated it this way. The name of Yahweh is being praised. If you look at the New King James, um, they say the Lord's name is to be praised. That suggests maybe a command. So there, there are different ways people have taken it here. Um, some people take it like I've taken it, and it's just uh, something that is happening. Okay? The name of Yahweh is being praised everywhere all the time. That's something that is happening. We're not commanded to do it in this line, but it's just something that is. And that's true. You can go anywhere in the world, somebody's praising the Lord. God has his people everywhere. If you include the birds and and the fishes and the animals, they're praising God too. God made them to do that. Everywhere. Someone is, or something even, is praising the Lord. Because, as I show you there, there's no main verb, and we now are going to see all these other verses with no main verbs, I'm inclined to think this is just something that is. But some will, as I tell you there in the next note, some assume the let from verse 2 and make this another command. Let the name of Yahweh be praised. And that certainly, obviously, would fit with verses 1 and 2. So there's some debate there. But... The point is clear either way. So with these thoughts in mind then, let's improve our worship. Let's improve our praise. Let's think of ways that we can praise without ceasing. God alone is worthy of it. Let's give it to him all the time, wherever we are. Let us join with believers throughout time and space, history and eternity, even the angelic host. Let us praise our God for who he is. 
Well, Lord willing, next time we will look at the rest of the psalm. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this call to praise you. For left to ourselves, we would be more inclined to focus on the things in our lives and the the worries and the hardships and the things of this life. Uh, We are thankful, Lord, for this this threefold uh, repetition in verse 1, this command to praise. Lord, we do praise you. You are worthy. You alone are worthy. There is no other God that rivals you, that compares to you. We praise you that you exist. We praise you that you're with us. We praise you, Lord, for being our God, as well as our Father, our Savior. We praise you for your name, for the reputation that, that you have, that we have learned about and experienced ourselves, but also, of course, as we see in your word, for, for the many thousands of years, you have made yourself known. And so we praise you for who you are. And may this then, Lord, by your spirit, uh, fill our, our minds, fill our hearts, fill us, and uh, that our lives would be lives of praise, and uh, that you would be glorified in it. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>